has 66 books in it, 1,189 chapters in it, 31,102 verses in it, 773,746 words between the covers, and 3,586,480 letters are in the King James Version of the Bible. It was written on three continents in three languages by 40 men of varied backgrounds over a period of 1,600 years covering the great questions of life from where do we come, why are we here, and where are we going? And yet this book, written by these 40 men who for the most part did not know each other, many of whom did not even live in the same area, has come together in one volume and does not have a single contradiction within it. Here's a book that the newest part is almost 2,000 years old, and yet when we read it, it is as if it is reading us because it is perennially fresh and always appropriate for man's needs. How do you read the Bible? There are many different ways. Many people read the Bible textually. They just start at the beginning and read through to the end. Some people read the Bible chronologically. That is, they try to put the Bible events and characters in their proper order and read them as they occurred in real history. Some people read the Bible biographically. They love to study the characters of the Bible and the lessons to be learned from them. Some people study the Bible topically and they search for all the verses on a certain topic and put them together and see the sum of God's Word on that particular topic. Some people study the Bible prophetically. They like to go back to the Old and find the prophecies and where they are fulfilled in the New Testament. And there's no one way that is the best way to read the Bible. Perhaps the best way is to vary it up and to study the Bible from different perspectives over a lifetime of Bible study. But this morning I'd like to talk to us about another way to study the Bible. And that is what we might call the discovery method. You begin by reading the Bible textually, Genesis through Revelation, but instead of just reading it to check off of a list, or to say that I've read my chapters for today, or to read it at the same time that the church is reading it, or a loved one or friend is reading it, to read the Bible with a specific purpose in mind to make a new discovery, something that I've never known about the Bible before. And that method includes having a pencil or a pen that you like to write in your Bible so that you can note the things that you discover that you may want to underline or highlight. Also with a journal beside the Bible that you write down the discoveries so that tomorrow you'll still remember what you discovered today. And a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, you can go back and see what were my discoveries last time I read the book of Genesis and what new things can I discover now. The Bible is a book that no matter how many times you read it, you will always find something new. No matter how, many, how much of the Bible you understand right now, you do not understand all of it. And on your last day, you will still be learning from God's Word. You remember what Paul said, 2 Timothy 4, even as an old man writing his last book of Scripture, inspired 
He said to Timothy, bring the books, bring the parchments. He was still studying at the very last part of his life because he wanted to know more. Now you and I have the responsibility to continue growing and not to become stagnant in our faith, not to reach a certain level, a level of salvation, or a level of, let's just say, first grade or sixth grade or uh, high school graduate in the Bible where we know, you know, we can find our way around and we know most of the important stories of the Bible and we can give you a synopsis of the doctrines of Scripture, but not to be satisfied to reach any of those plateaus, but simply to use those as a foundation, a launching pad to learn new things. And the more things that we know about the Bible going into a reading of Scripture, the more things we can come out of it because we'll be able to connect things that we haven't seen before with what we know, with things that are yet to be discovered. And one thing about reading the Bible with a discovery method is that it adds excitement to one's Bible reading. It's not just to get through it, but it's actually to learn something. And everybody enjoys learning. It helps our religion to remain fresh because it gives us something new to talk about, something new to meditate upon, something new to act upon. And it also helps us to remember it longer. Because any, any teacher will tell you that a self-discovery is going to be longer remembered than something someone tells us that we need to remember for a test. And so whenever it is that we learn something for ourselves, it will stick with us longer than anything we may hear in a sermon or in a Bible class. So the discovery method. Turn with me over to Psalm 119. Here is the prayer to pray before you begin a reading of a chapter or a section of the Bible, if you're going to seek to discover new things in the God's Word, Psalm 119, we'll read together verse 18. You could pray this prayer every day as you begin your Bible reading, and God will answer the fervent prayer of a righteous man, and so you can expect to have an answer to this prayer as you pray it from day to day. Psalm 119 and verse 18. Open Thou mine eyes, that I may behold the wondrous things out of Thy law. So God, open my eyes to learn new things. Open my eyes to be a better Bible student. Open my eyes to the things that I need to know to live before Thee righteously today and before my neighbors and to be judged faithful at the end of life. I want to spend this morning um, looking at, <clears throat> and we'll start with an overview of Scripture. You can read the entire Bible in 70 hours at pulpit rate. That is the rate that you, that whenever someone stands up to read this morning and they're reading aloud, you can read the Bible in 70 hours at that rate. Most of us can read faster than that when we read silently. And so the Bible, reading the entire Bible, is not an, um, a burden in any given year. Many people read the Bible through more than one time per year. Um, if you wanted to read through the entire Bible in 12 months, read four chapters a day and you'll finish it just a little bit early. If you wanted to read the Old Testament one time and the New Testament through every month, then read 12 chapters a day. Read three chapters in the Old Testament and nine chapters in the New Testament. And you, that's what I call the Robert Taylor 
method of reading the Bible. He's read the Bible through that way for more than 50 years now, reading the whole Bible through once a year, reading the New Testament through every month. So nine chapters will get you through the New Testament once a month. Four chapters get through get you through the whole Bible um, per day in one year. Now, let's go into this section and talk about the overview of the Bible. I know some of this will be reviewed, but much of this uh, you may be able to add on to what you already know. This book is divided into two sections. The Old Testament has 39 books. How do you remember that? Well, there are three letters in Old, and there are nine letters in Testament. Three, nine equals 39. There are 27 books in the New Testament. How do you remember that? Well, there are three letters in New and nine letters in Testament. Three times nine equals 27, so that's easy to remember. Now, our our English Bibles are arranged a little differently than the Bible that Jesus read when He was on the earth. The Jews had 22 scrolls that contained all of the Old Testament. So they had 22 books. But they contained the same material that we have in our 39 books because their scrolls combined some of the books that are divided in the English Bible. They combined, and I'll see if I can remember these and go down and uh, show you the difference. They combined Judges and Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Ezra and Nehemiah. All of the twelve minor prophets were one book, and First and Second Chronicles were one book. And Jeremiah and Lamentations were together. So that you take away those and you're down to 22 books. Now you don't have to remember that, but I find it interesting that it seems the Jews thought this way. They had 22 letters in their alphabet and everything that you could write for a Jew could be written with 22 letters. And so they had 22 books from God and everything that God had to say to them was written and was contained in those 22 books. Now also, if you take 22 books of the Old Testament and 27 books of the New Testament, add them together, you have 49. And 7 times 7 equals 49. And 7 is the number of perfection. Perfect Old Testament, perfect New Testament equals a complete Bible. God's Word. Now, let's go into a little more detail about the Old Testament. <coughs> Let's do some Bible trivia first. You can participate here uh, if you if you want to. Just don't worry about being wrong because somebody's going to be wrong on most of these, probably because these are obscure Bible facts. But I think they're interesting. In point of length, the average word of the Bible contains six letters. Anybody else have a guess? That's pretty close. Fewer than five, so four point something would be the answer to that. So the Bible is not a difficult book to read. It is um, composed of mostly small words. Number the next one, some cha- some Bible chapters are acrostics and were meant to be memorized. What's an acrostic? You know, preachers use these sometimes, where you'll take a, a word and every letter in that word, like New Year. Sometimes you'll see, you know, N equals one thing, E, like that. Also, an acrostic can be just straight through the alphabet, A, B, C. 
And uh, the, a number of Bible chapters are that way. Psalm 25, 34, 37, 111, 112. Psalm 119 is the best example of it where you have that long chapter divided into sections of eight, eight verses each. And it just goes in the, in the order of the Hebrew alphabet, A, B, C, like that. Each section. And so sometimes when you're reading it or studying in a commentary, it will refer to the Aleph section of Psalm 119. We would say the A section or the Z section of that Psalm. What's the first color mentioned in the Bible? Anybody remember? Want to take a guess? Blue over here? Somebody else? Green. Green is right. Genesis 1 verse 30 is the first color mentioned in Scripture. What about this one? The first word in the Bible is, and the last word of the Bible is. Anybody? This is sort of a tricky one. So go ahead and say the first word of the Bible is in, and I'll say you're wrong. And what's the last word of the Bible? Amen. Amen. That's it. The first word of the Bible in the Hebrew is God. God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. So it begins with God. And the English, the first word is in, and ends with the word amen, which means so be it. The word and occurs in the Bible 51,714 times, and the word the occurs 64,040 times. What is the most often quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament? And a lot of the New Testament it refers back to the Old Testament. Sometimes direct quotation, sometimes a part of a verse is quoted or an allusion to an idea that's found, a specific phrase in a verse. Anybody have a guess? Say again. Isaiah 53 is a good guess. Somebody else? Genesis 1.1. I was surprised about this one. What was it? All right. It was Psalm 110, verse 1. Somebody read that for us. Psalm 110, verse 1. The second one is Leviticus 19, 18. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the second most often quoted. It's nine times. And Psalm 110, verse 1. It's quoted directly about four times, but then it's alluded to in a lot of different passages. So it, it's the number one quoted Old Testament verse. Who has Psalm 110, verse 1? All right, so referring to the, the authority or the reign of Jesus, and that's found a number of places in the New Testament. Satan is found 19 times in the Old Testament, but he's never called the devil until the New Testament, where you find he's called the devil 61 times. It's 56 times total on Satan, including the New Testament references. Who performed the last recorded miracles of the Bible? Peter here, somebody over here. Paul. Paul is right. That's Acts chapter 28, 7 and 9. When he was shipwrecked on that island and he healed Publius of the bloody flux and other people of the island came to him and he healed them. Those are the last miracles recorded in the New Testament. Lawyers are mentioned eight times in the Bible. Anybody think of the one that's named in Scripture? That's from Titus 3.13. Paul said, bring certain lawyer with you. Starts with a Z and sounds like Zenus. The word hate is found in the Bible 87 times, but the word love is found 311 times. 
Who was the first man in the Bible mentioned as shaving? You remember when Joseph was brought out of the prison? Genesis 41. And before they presented him to Pharaoh, what did they do? They bathed him and shaved him. Who is the second most often mentioned character in the Bible after Jesus? This one will be, if you guess, you'll probably get it. Because this one is what you would think it would be. Somebody? Abraham, it's close. Moses, maybe if you don't, if you don't guess, you'll get it. <laughs> David, that's it. Those are good guesses though, both of those. Uh, David's mentioned 1139 times in the Bible. I'm going to stop here for just a second and uh, maybe put a little more context on what we're doing. I don't want, nothing in the Bible is trivial, so I wouldn't call this Bible trivia. I was asked to speak this next weekend on a lectureship on the theme of our Bible class this morning, tell me something about the Bible I don't know. And I thought, what an assignment is that? Because you know, I'm speaking to those who know the law. Somebody that would come to a Bible lectureship on a Friday night are going to be good Bible students. And then the more I thought about it and began to research it, there are things that all of us don't know about the Bible. And many of these things that we're going through presently are Bible facts. And yet, not a single person in here, some of whom are very good Bible students, know the answers to some of these. And the impression that I'm hoping that this will make on us as a Bible class is as we begin this year together, we're in our first month, we're talking about planting mustard seeds this year, that this exercise is going to help us to realize, hey, I've got a lot to learn yet. I need to be a Bible student. I need to be reading the Bible. I'm not finished with my learning yet. And so as we go through these, I hope that that will be the impression. It certainly made that impression on me, and I think it will on all of us. Let's talk about a few more interesting facts, and then we'll go into more structured study. Who is the most often mentioned woman in the Scriptures, would you guess? Mary? Somebody else? It's an Old Testament. Both of them are in the Old Testament. Number one and number two. Sarah, that's number one. Number two. Eve, not Eve. That's a good guess. I didn't hear you. Ruth, that's a good guess, but that's not it. Just start with an R though. Rachel. Rachel's number two 47 times. And the only woman in the Bible whose age we know at the time she died is... Sarah, and she was 127 years old. How many books of the Bible start with the letter J? This one surprised me, even though you know everybody knows the books of the Bible. Never thought about it like that. Two? Don't be more than that. Five? More than that. Ten? More than that. Surprise me. Twelve Bible books that starts with the letter J. I didn't go check that, but um, I think that's right. How many people are raised from the dead in the Bible? And how many suicides are recorded? There are ten people raised from the dead, and here here's the list of them. Most of them in the Old Testament, but you have in the New Testament, Jesus, I should say most in the New Testament, and three in the Old Testament. Most of them relate to Jesus' personal ministry. 
where he raised the widow's son, the daughter of Jairus, Lazarus, him, Jesus was resurrected, and then the souls that came out of the graves after the saints that came out after his resurrection, and then Peter raised Tabitha and Paul raised Eutychus. So ten people in the Bible raised from the dead, ten people died two times, except Jesus, of course, didn't die a second time. Suicides in the Bible, only seven. And of these, all of them appear to have been conscious of what they were doing, not mentally deranged, as we might expect is the case in many suicides, but all these knew what they were doing from the context. And the only two, um, and, only, and two of them died by uh, hanging, um, others by falling on their swords and so forth. One burned a house down on himself. Now, this is an interesting sentence to me at least. In the, in the Bible, you have a king named So, 2 Kings 17.4. You have a city called Adam, Joshua 3.16. You have an altar named Ed, Joshua 22.34. A man named Hen, Zechariah 6.14. And a lady named Noah, Joshua 17.3. So there are a lot of interesting names in the Bible. Sheep are mentioned more than any other animal in the Bible, 188 times. Dogs are mentioned 41 times. And guess how many times cats are mentioned? You got it. Sure got it. Zero times. Now, if that offends you as a cat lover, don't be offended because there's not a single reference in the Bible that's favorable for dogs. Every Dogs were not the domesticated things that we think of today. They were half-wild animals that roamed around. In fact, um, dogs are compared to prostitutes, greedy people, and evil men in the Scriptures. Lions are mentioned 55 times, and they killed people four different times. And three people killed lions. you think of who they are? Samson's the first one. Judges 14, 5-9. Killed it with his bare hands. Remember, ripped it apart. David said, I've killed a lion and a bear before he went to face Goliath. Verse Samuel 17. The third one's going to be the hard one probably. From 2 Samuel 23, 20. Benaiah, one of David's mighty men. But the Bible says in that verse, killed a lion in a pit in a time of snow. I read one, uh, com one source this week that said that's the only place in the Bible that says it was snowing. The Bible mentions snow a lot of different times, but the only time it was actually snowing is in 2 Samuel 23.20 when this man did a very dangerous and difficult thing. He killed a lion, but he did it under adverse circumstances. He did it in a pit where he couldn't maneuver very well. And he did it during a time of snow when it would be slippery, and yet he was able to accomplish the difficult. Alright, that's all the Bible facts that we'll go through. Let's talk about an overview of the Old Testament for a few minutes. Most of us who are beginning Bible reading probably are in Exodus or uh, maybe it's still in Genesis for this year. The Old Testament was forbidden to be read in Nazi Germany. Hitler's henchmen said that's the Jewish book. Nobody can read or preach from the Old Testament. And so in the seminaries in Germany during the war, they, they stopped Old Testament studies, didn't offer Old Testament degrees. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book on the Psalms 
1940 during the middle of the war, and he was fined for that by the Nazis. But he argued in court that this is the book of Jesus' prayers. This is the book that Jesus read when He was honored. So why shouldn't we read it today? And that's the truth. The Old Testament are the prayers Jesus prayed, the songs Jesus sung, the bedtime stories that Jesus heard as a child, the prophecies that Jesus read and pondered, even those that related to Himself were all from the Old Testament. Now, as you think about the Old Testament, it, is, um, it introduces us, it introduces the world to God. You know, apart from the Bible, apart from the Old Testament, what does the world know about God? Well, you look into paganism, and you have the imaginations of men inventing gods that are not real. You see, the real God is not some blurry power behind the sky. The real God is not some um, distant abstraction like the Greeks thought of God. He's not a sensuous superhuman like the Romans thought of God. He's not an absentee watchmaker like the God of the deist. The God of the Bible is a personal God. The God of the, of the Bible not only created the world, but He's concerned about the world. He's not only uh, interested in what goes on in a general sense on the earth, but in every individual life on the earth. And so God was involved with Adam and with Abraham and with Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and with Moses and with David and Solomon and with the great prophets of the Old Testament. They knew God personally. God appeared to them in visions. God revealed to them His message to give to others. So the Old Testament is about God. The Old Testament, when you read it, is a refreshing, refreshingly honest document. You will read in the Old Testament of it's it's like it's almost like it's rated PG because these these are not sanitized stories that have been cleaned up for children's Bible story books. I'm, I mean, I'm not talking about the Bible being something that's off color, but it certainly does not paint the picture of humankind with rosy glasses. But instead, it pictures mankind as being. Uh, what we turned out to be a disappointment to God in Genesis chapter 6 when He had to wipe off the face of the earth from humanity except one family. We find in the stories of the, of the Bible, stories of rape and dismemberment of bodies. We find in the stories of the Old Testament, treachery and lies as well as stories of honor and decency. We find in the pages of the Old Testament uh, men who took more than one wife. We find those who practice homosexuality and other forms of perversion. And so the Bible doesn't clean up the story of man. Instead, it shows us how bad sins can become if men turn their back on the God who was wanting them to act as He instructed them to act. <clears throat> Sometimes we may have difficulty relating to the Old Testament because we live in a modern world where we are divided into industrialized culture, where cities and some agriculture, but not a lot. The Old Testament was set up very differently. But missionaries that are in places like Africa and Afghanistan would tell you that people there can relate very well to the Bible because the tribalism that they live in 
and have lived in for thousands of years is the way people live for the most part in the Old Testament. And the disputes over water and over land are very common today in those parts of the world. And the arranged marriages that you find in the Old Testament are still what's being practiced by people in many parts of the world today. So the Old Testament is very applicable to a large portion of humanity, even to this very hour. But for for us, is there any value in reading the Old Testament? Yes, the Bible says, whatsoever was written for time was written for our learning. It's a lot like, and maybe you won't be able to relate to this, or maybe you will, it's a lot like watching a Shakespearean play. I mean, here's a play that was written 400 years ago. It's about kings and queens and activities that no longer are part of our uh, normal world. But when you leave watching a Shakespearean play, you leave pondering humanity because those stories are so timeless that what happened in that culture, in that context, is exactly what happens today in a different culture and a different context. It's really about humanity rather than about a culture. The same thing is true in the Old Testament. It's really about us, about man's problem with sin and God's offer of salvation. And so we see ourselves in these great stories. You see yourself in Joseph as he resisted temptation. You see yourself in the story of David as he pled with God for forgiveness. You see yourself uh, struggling with faith as Abraham did when he offered up Isaac on the mountain, Genesis 22. And so we see ourselves in those stories and the precepts of the Old Testament. Let's talk about the structure. That was an overview of the Old Testament. What about the structure? We have in the past talked about the Old Testament as being divided into five sections. I wonder if any of you remember this. I've taught it several times, but sometimes things... Old Testament 5, 12. Anybody finish it? Very good. 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. Five books of law, 12 books of history, five books of poetry, five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. Alright, if you have that one, I'm going to teach a different one in Bible class this morning. Now, um, we're going to go through several numbers here, and I'll just go ahead and give you this preface. If you are a new Christian and you're just learning these things for the first time, I only want you to learn the next thing I'm going to tell you. Just three numbers, what they mean. If you are a more mature Christian, or if you are someone who, uh, let me just call you a second mile students, you really want to know as much as you can know about Scripture, then I'm going to give you enough information that you'll be able, you probably need to write it down, you probably won't be able to remember all of this, just unless you have a, a very quick mind for facts. So, there's two levels, and everybody's interested in what we're about to do. The first level is simple, everybody in here ought to be able to remember these three facts I'm about to give you. And then we'll go into more detail for the others, and you can take a break if you're in that first category. Let's talk about Three numbers, 17, 5, 17. Just three numbers. And they're easy to remember because of the pattern. But what do those represent? Well, you're looking at the structure of the Old Testament. And you know, any of you ever put together puzzles? You enjoy puzzles? What's the first thing you do when you put together a puzzle? You can find the straight edge pieces. What do you do? Put together the, the borders first. It's a lot easier to find the rest of it once you get the borders. Same thing is true in Bible reading. 
We need to have the borders. We need to see the airplane view of what we're reading first, and then we can see the smaller book view and then the chapter view beyond that. But the, this is the airplane view. This is the edge of the puzzle. 17, 5, 17. 17 books of history. You're talking about Genesis, the beginning of history, all the way down to Esther, which is the end of the Old Testament. Then five books of wisdom literature. The first 12 books, are the focus is on a nation, Israel. In the five books that are at the heart of the Old Testament, the emphasis is not on a nation, but it's on the individual. That's why many, why many people find their favorite part of the Old Testament is in the wisdom literature. Many people will tell you their favorite book of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. Some others will tell you it's the book of Proverbs. Why is that? Because the emphasis is on the person, on the individual. And it's much easier to relate to. You have uh, the prayers and the songs of the Hebrews, but really the, the sentiments are the same regardless of whether you live in the Old Testament or the New Testament. You're praising God for His greatness and for His deeds. And you're praying to God out of human emotion. And those emotions haven't changed from the Old Testament and the New Testament. We still feel fear and despair and joy and all the same emotions they felt. So, five books of wisdom literature and then 17 books of prophecy. Prophets were... The first thing we think of, we think of a prophet as somebody who says something that's going to be fulfilled hundreds of years later. And there are prophecies like those in the 17 books, a lot of them. But often prophets... Most of what a prophet did was preach to his own generation. What they needed to do to be right with God, what God was telling him they needed to repent of or to build or whatever it was that was the pressing need of the hour so the prophets would preach about that. So, 17, 5, 17, Genesis through Esther, Job through Song of Solomon, Isaiah through Malachi, those three sections. Now, if you're a new Christian or... Uh, you're not really into learning uh, further. That's, this is a stopping point for you. Now let's talk to the rest, rest of us for a few minutes about what those three sections mean. <coughs> Excuse me. The 17 history divides into three sections. These are also easy to remember. Five, nine, three. Five books of the law. Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then the nine national the history of Israel, in other words. That has to do with Joshua, where they go into the land of Canaan as a nation all the way down uh, through when they're carried away into captivity. And then the last three books are the remnants that returned after the Babylonian captivity of 70 years. You could look at it from a geographic perspective. The first five are pre-Canaan. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, but He didn't give it to him. He did live there part of the time, but he didn't possess all the land. He was a nomad, lived in tents and moved around. And then nine books in Canaan, the promised land, led by Joshua, and then they settled and so forth. And then the three books back to Canaan after they were carried into captivity and some of them in Assyria and others in Babylonia, they returned to Canaan. So, if you want to know the structure of the history books, 593. The middle section, the heart of the Old Testament, 
I got those. Here is the books of wisdom. Just take one idea from each one of the books, and this will be what you come away with. Job teaches us how to suffer. Psalms teaches us how to pray. Proverbs teaches us how to live. Ecclesiastes teaches us how to enjoy life. And Song of Solomon teaches us how to love, especially in our, in our families with our marriage companions. So just one idea from, to take from each one of those five books. You see why those are so popular, because those are things that we're all interested in and that we all need to go through life because we're going to face those different sections. Yes? Yeah. Well, it's the kind of teaching where you say, um, this is the wrong way and this is the better way. So much of the book is about Solomon's experience, his experiment. But the end of the book, he says, this is the whole duty of man, fear God and keep His commandments. So that's how you enjoy life. You recognize that God is at the center of it. And don't waste your life pursuing sinful pursuits of music and money and sex and power, all the things that Solomon tried that did not ultimately give him happiness. So, that's a good question. Alright, now let's talk about the 17 books of prophecy. The same three numbers that you saw with history, you see again, 5, 9, 3, easy to remember. Five major prophets. The difference in a major prophet and a minor prophet is just how long they wrote. The book of Isaiah, 66 chapters. For instance, he's a major prophet. The book of Obadiah, one chapter, he's a minor prophet. So that's the difference, not in importance, but just in how much they wrote. You could divide the major prophets into 212. Lamentations is the middle book. And it also is a divider. The two before Isaiah and Jeremiah are pre-exilic prophets. That just means they, they live before the carrying away into captivity. And the last two are post-exilic. They were prophets either in captivity or upon the return from captivity. So 212 is the division there. Nine, the major section of the minor prophets, the pre-exile, these were preaching that the people should repent or God's going to carry you into captivity if the people didn't listen, eventually were carried into captivity. And then the last three prophets of the Old Testament, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, are post-exilic. They were preaching to the people who came back. A much smaller number returned, but the nation came back so that Jesus could be born in the lineage of Abraham and of the nation of David. That was fulfilled. Alright, we're going to stop there. Um, the next section, and I may do this tonight in our worship. Uh, we'll see how the worship hour goes with the sermon. But... Um, what I want to do is just go through some of the most interesting sections of the Old Testament. Just some examples of the kind of discoveries that we can make as we read the Bible. Some things that are going to be perhaps um, a review for many in here, but other things you'll say, I never knew that. Some things that uh, tucked away in the Old Testament that are very interesting. And so, Lord willing, we will pick up there probably tonight, depending on if we finish the study for the worship. Anybody have a question or a comment before we dismiss our class?